Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. (laughs) I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash etm. Go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use code etm for 20% off. Hey, I'm Shauna Compton Game. This is Millennial Money. And today I'm talking to Daniel and Gil from the very popular Facebook group, Millennial Wall Street. Daniel actually started Millennial Wall Street uh, a few years ago. And I just came across this amazing Facebook group of all of these young millennials sharing stock tips, sharing information 
um, and just really uplifting each other. So I thought, why not just make an episode about this and interview them, talk about how they pick stocks, because we all want to know that, right? And also, um, maybe hopefully woo a few of you to head over to Millennial Wall Street, the Facebook group, and join up the conversation, all right? So I hope you enjoy um, this podcast. As always, please feel free to follow me on Twitter at Shauna Game and Instagram at Millennial underscore money. I'm so excited to have Daniel and Gil on a Millennial Money podcast today talking about Millennial Wall Street. So thank you both for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Shauna, for having us. Awesome. So let's start with you, Daniel. So you're the creator, kind of the brainchild of Millennial Wall Street. And tell the listeners, like, what is this all about? You know, how do they find Millennial Wall Street? And maybe, you know, why you even started this? Okay, so... Millennial Wall Street was, it's, it's a Facebook group, it's a forum style group, and it was created in 2011, and I really started, and this is going to sound incredibly selfish, but I did it to make my life a lot easier, because I got into investing in the spring of 2011. I was introduced to it in 2011, and you know I started building my network of people I started just talking to tons and tons of people. I was introduced to finance with options and derivatives, which you would think someone's first lesson is, what is a stock? How does the stock market work? Yada, yada, yada. No, I went to the advanced math portion, and for some reason, it everything just made sense and clicked. And all of a sudden, I fell in love with it, and I started being incredibly self-taught. I mean, Investopedia was my go-to, Yahoo Finance, just everything I could get my hands on, every book. And so I guess... Millennial Wall Street, as as a whole, it originated in 2011, but I finally put the group together. I created this group in 2014 on Facebook when my network got so big and so overwhelming that my phone battery would die, my laptop battery would die, because I would be talking with people about finance, investments, economics, personal finance, everything related to the flow of money this would be 24-7 for me. And it was a passion, but it was becoming so crazy that I needed to consolidate and make everything a lot easier. So I went on Facebook where I figured, okay, everyone's already here. I need to post one thing so all, so everyone sees it rather than hit every single person individually with a call, a text, an email, a chat group, whatever. So yeah, I created that, that could be over, That could be overwhelming having all it, those all those people text you all the time. <laughs> it was it was insane. I felt like <laughs> I felt like I had a phone that should belong to an investment banker because my phone was going off so much. It was ridiculous. You're like, where's the paycheck associated with? Yeah, this? <laughs> exactly. It's like I'm, I'm learning all this information, sharing perspectives, but I'm not getting comped yet. But so I created this group. I started it with about fifty ish or so people, and over the years, since again, the group was officially started in 2014 on the page. And ever since, it's been growing completely organically. I mean, everybody and anybody who I'm associated with who is interested in finance, whether it's a professional, a student, a retail investor, or somebody who wants to learn, people are on this group. And what's been awesome is that there are now people who are just extensions of my network who are adding their own networks to this. So the group is growing and growing and growing. And as I'm looking at my screen right now, there are, as of today, 
and I just added a person before we got on this call, there are now 864 people. Right. And so that just, I mean, I, I don't know what, what you guys think or how you feel about this, but to me that just really shows like, A, people are, especially millennials are, you know, looking for this knowledge share, this information, and B, it's kind of sad because, you know, at least from my experience, and this is sort of the precipice behind, you know, me doing this podcast is there aren't a lot of places where people can go and actually find out this information. So everybody is just kind of like feeling their way around in the dark, you know, terrified of like another 2008, 2009 happening. Um, So it's interesting to me, you know, that, that, that something like this, you know, has such a movement behind it. I think that's awesome. Yeah. And, and it's growing and, I kind of wish that we talked a little bit more about personal finance on the group because I'll be honest, at this point, we're talking more about global events that are influencing the market day in and day out. We're talking about, oh, who owns what stock? Who, who thinks that this stock is going to go up? Who thinks this is going to happen? Um, we're not really diving too much into personal finance. I mean, we recently had a thread on credit cards that shockingly I had so many participants on there than I more than I expected, but that even proved to me that hey, people who don't typically participate are actually watching from behind the scenes. And although sometimes they may be a little intimidated to say something because they just don't know the subject topic too well, they are there. And when they're actually really intrigued by something, they're going to go in and share their experience, share their perspective, and ask their questions. And that's really what the group is for. I mean, I want the 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 people who are new to this to be asking questions. I want, I don't want people to be afraid because I feel like money is so taboo. I mean, in high school and in high school, elementary school, I mean, even college, like it shocks me how I don't know a single university where finance 101, just basic finance is a graduating requirement. And that is just dangerous. I mean, yeah, that's kind of my personal mission in life. Um, I yeah. teach I teach two personal finance classes that I created at a university out here. And, you know, it's just sort of my personal mission, like to just get as many people through that at least know the basics. You know, that's what yeah. I tell everyone, you know, listening to the podcast, like even if you just pick up a tip or two, you're far ahead of of most other people, um, you know, whether it's about investing or budgeting or saving money or, or even oh. if it's just motivating you to find out more information, um, you know, I, I figure like the more things, the better um, yeah. for people to be able to connect with. Yeah. I mean, I, I, was at a, I went to a networking event last night where it was all about millennials and money. And there, were, there, were, there was a nurse there who said, how do I start saving? What do I have to do? And me and this one other advisor, and first of all, disclosure, I'm not licensed, but I think I, what I'm about to say, I can say without getting in trouble, <laughs> You, everybody should start saving. If you tell yourself, I can't save, I have too many, like that, you're lying to yourself because you can afford to start saving something, even if it's just to get yourself into the discipline, just to get yourself started. I challenge everybody Put away 1% of your paycheck. If that's too much, if that's actually too much, then just to prove to yourself that you can save, put away a dollar or $5, something so minimal, but just to show yourself that, hey, it is possible. Because once you start and you actually remain consistent with it, then you'll realize that it's possible and then you'll start figuring out other ways to really get it going. Because that's what's important. To, to start is to, starting is the important part. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So, Gil, you are one of kind of the quote-unquote founding members um, of Millennial Wall Street. So, 
Give the listeners just a little bit of background about you and kind of why you decided to join this group. Okay, so I actually went to school with Daniel, and um, he's a good friend of mine. Uh, we would actually talk finance on campus and kind of discuss certain stocks that we were interested in. And um, I've been trading stocks for a little over three years now. Unlike most millennial investors, I choose to trade in very high-risk stocks. Um, and the reason why I do so is because I'm not putting a ton of money in the market. So with the money that I do put in the market, I try and generate as high as a return as possible. And typically, in order to generate high returns, you kind of have to have a high-risk stocks. Not always, but typically you do. So um, I was ecstatic when Daniel created the group. I thought it was a fantastic idea. I joined right away. Um, actually have invited a couple people to the group. And um, before Millennial Wall Street came about, really the only other community where I was discussing with other people uh, about my stock decisions was um, a forum called Stock Twits, which is kind of a similar idea, um, but not as nice as Millennial Wall Street because with Millennial Wall Street, you actually see, you, you put a face to the name and you can see which types of people are investing in what and, and kind of what the returns have been, what their strategies have been. So it's a very valuable resource in which you can learn a great deal. And um, yeah, I was, I was definitely one of the first 50 members. So it's been very exciting to watch this group grow and kind of see the direction that it's taken uh, over the past couple of years. Absolutely. So to kind of get into, obviously, we're here to talk about stock investing. So for the listeners who are completely new to stock investing or they want to really start, but they have no idea how or where or what to do, what kind of advice would each one of you give to that, that newbie out there? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, I know that's probably well, like a three-hour, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, it could be a three-hour discussion or it could be a 10 second discussion. And I mean, you know, I can follow the words of Jim Cramer, who I'm sure most people have heard of or know of. He hosts a bunch of shows on CNBC, including Mad Money. Um, and I kind of fall in line with him on this part where if you're just starting out and you don't know much, then buy an S&P 500 ETF, not a mutual fund, but a S&P 500 ETF. Um, or if you want to, if or perhaps even a Dow Jones ETF or a Nasdaq ETF, if you want exposure to the U.S. markets, just get a get an ETF that's based on a U.S. index, and you know that way you have exposure. You're finally in it, but you're not doing the massive homework on an individual company. Because if you're just getting started and you dive into doing analysis on a company, and you have no idea what you're doing, you're number one. You're going to get slaughtered. But on top of that, it's just, it's, I mean, it's, it's crazy. There's so much that goes into this kind of stuff. And what, and, are, what are some of the yeah. pros of ETFs in your, in your opinion? Liquidity. I, I, I just, I love the liquidity. Um, liquidity meaning you can go in and out of something just as rapidly. Like people, people think about trading stocks like buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell. Well, an ETF is a basket of stocks, or it could be an, it could be a basket of other ETFs. It can be a basket of mutual. I mean, whatever. It's just it it comes with liquidity, and that's why I love it because if for whatever reason I do need to sell, it's instantaneous and the money's there. 
Right. Absolutely. So Gil, what about you? Okay, so I'm going to start just a little bit simpler than Daniel did. Um, He jumped right into the ETF game. I commend him for that. Um, For for me, um, uh, actually beginning to invest was kind of a difficult process. So ever since a young age, I always thought I was going to be an investment banker. Uh, Investing always piqued my interest. And finally, I got to the point where I had some extra money in the bank that was just sitting there earning nothing. And I said, okay, now I want to go ahead and take this extra money that I have and put it into the market. So the first question that I had is, okay, how do I go about doing this? So I researched some of the different major platforms and I was looking around, looking around. My neighbor was using a platform called ShareBuilder and I didn't really like that one too much. And then all of, a, all of a sudden, I stumbled across Scott Trade, which I actually liked. And so I created a Scott Trade account. You had to fund it with, I believe it was a minimum of $500. So I funded my account with $1,000. And then, uh, little did I know, you have to wait three business days in order for that money to go through and become available for trading. So once I funded my account, I waited the three business days, uh, and then I was following a stock at the time. Uh, It was an ETF of all things. And after that time went through, I probably sat and waited about a month and a half. And uh, I had noticed that it had been trending down, and it hit kind of a low point for me. So then I dived right in, and I didn't invest my full thousand right away. I invested $700 and bought some shares of this stock. And, um, and that's really how I got started. So my advice to you is definitely check out the different platforms out there. And now in today's society, there's a lot more out there than when I had began looking. So I was just going to go ahead and name off some of, the, some of the major platforms that are out there right now and then the corresponding trade fees. So the one that I use is Scott Trade. It's very popular. Uh, it's $7 a trade. Their uh, customer service is not bad, and um, when you place a trade, it goes through right away, which is nice. Um, another big gun is TD Ameritrade, which is uh, it, it has a better reputation than Scott Trade, but along with that reputation comes higher trading fees. So that goes at nine dollars and ninety nine cents a trade. Uh, there's a new one that I just learned of today called Motif Investing. That one's $4.95 a trade. Um, another one is Trade King, which is also $4.95 a trade. And there's another new guy out there called Trade Station, which is $9.99 a trade. So right there with TD Ameritrade. But these guys are supposed to be offering a lot of analytics. So if you're planning on doing a lot of investing and you want those analytics on your stock, I would recommend checking them out. Um, and I'm just going to name a couple more. Another one is Options House, which comes in at $4.95 a trade. You have Charles Schwab, which is $8.95 a trade. And then uh, kind of a sub of Charles Schwab is Options Express. They're also $8.95 a trade. And then the last one is E-Option, which is $3 per trade. So those are some of the platforms I would check out if you're new to investing and you're trying to figure out a platform that you'd like to invest in. Yeah, and to even to help that out a little bit, there's actually a website that I love, and it's a very, very original name, but it's www.stockbrokers.com. You go there, and I think this is the best review website for all the online brokerage houses. 
I mean, it gives everything. I mean, I'm looking at the sub tabs on it right now. There's best brokers, reviews, offers, compare, calculator, 2016 reviews, screener. I mean, it gives you everything that Gil just mentioned and talks about on there. And whenever somebody approaches me about investing and they say, hey, which which should I use? What do you use? Yada, yada, yada. I say, well, I use TD Ameritrade because this reason, this reason, and this reason. But you might have other needs. You might have other whatever. So go to stockbrokers.com do the comparisons, read up on all the platforms, and you'll find what, what's, what works for you. Yeah, that's great advice. So when you guys are um, you know, like following a stock and you're thinking you're going to invest in a stock, like what are some of the things that you're actually looking at or looking for? Okay, Gil, you want to go first? <laughs> oh, sure. Um, okay, so I actually trade uh, largely with a gold ETF. And so at the beginning, when I was new to investing, it really just had a lot to do with my gut and price points. But as I became a more experienced investor, um, I started using Google Finance and Yahoo Finance to, and even um, MarketWatch.com to kind of find associated articles that had to do with my stock. Uh, for example, my stock is really related to interest rates. So whenever uh, Janet Yellen, head of Federal Open Market Committee, speaks, my stock either jumps or plummets. So I found that out a couple months investing in. And so it's just kind of a U.S. factor that has a huge impact on gold. And gold has a huge impact on the underlying assets of my ETF. So it causes it to jump. So I'm always anticipating what Janet Yellen's going to say and making investment decisions kind of based off of what I predict her to say. Um, so that's that's one example of what I use. Okay. And for me, I do I do a, a, quite a wide variety. I have um, I have quite a few portfolios that I oversee that are, they're all they're all mine. So I I pay attention to all of them. They all have different strategies and some of them have more capital in them than others and so I'm saving up some money just so I can start implementing strategies in some of those portfolios. But overall, just I have different portfolios so that I can focus, I can zero in on a strategy. So when I'm looking at that one, I'm not thinking about anything else because I don't like having a huge giant mess, like a big, just a bunch of stuff crowded. I mean, I want to look at one thing and be thinking just about that sector, just about that industry. So I like to be very targeted. If I'm looking at financials, I don't want to be thinking about consumer staples and consumer discretionaries. If I'm looking at consumer discretionary, I don't want to be looking at the defense sector and technology. So that's kind of how I format my portfolios. But when I find a stock, and again, this has to do with the strategy that's being implemented, but I'm looking at their earnings, I'm looking at their debt levels, I'm looking at just overall sales. I'm I'm I, I'm actually a huge proponent of seeing how valuable management is, how management is performing, and I think that kind of comes from my desire to get into investment banking. Just because I'm fascinated by mergers and acquisitions, I want to be a part of that. So if and when I get into that part of the industry, I'm going to be working in that a lot, just seeing how the company operates, work, really working on the internals, their financials, and everything. But I mean, there's just there's so many different approaches to how I manage, and I mean, even for my active trading portfolio, one one thing I'll talk about. So one fund that I trade actively is it's a volatility fund, and it's it's a leveraged fund, 
And first piece of advice is if you're going to go into leveraged funds, um, and the gold fund that Gil trades is actually a leveraged fund. If you're going to go into leveraged funds, you have to trade them. You cannot invest in them. You can't buy them and hold on to them like you would an index fund. You have to be very active with it because it has a thing called time decay. And I'm not going to go into the science and math of it because that's exactly what it is. It's very, it's, it's, it's very mathematical. But the time decay, if you hold on to it, it erodes and it will destroy your position and you will lose money unless you get incredibly, incredibly lucky. But so I, I <laughs> Gil, Gil could go into this and so could I. We both have experienced the ups and downs of this stuff. But I specifically trade a volatility-based fund and it tracks the volatility index, the VIX. And for me personally, I'm not telling anybody what to do, but for me personally, I've noticed that when the volatility index itself is below 14, it's it's a good time for me to enter my position. And my position is the TVIX, the Twix, TVIX, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But it's it's an afford it's a small little fund and it's really volatile. And usually when things when something goes crazy in the world, unfortunately. This thing goes up, but you know, I mean, we're supposed to be making money in the markets, whether the markets are going up, down, sideways, whatever. So that's what I've been trading actively. But other stuff, other positions, I try to enter. I mean, if I like, if in my REITs portfolio, I look for the best real estate investment trust companies. Um, in my financials portfolio, I look for the top investment banks, the top asset management firms, uh, just the top regional banks. I mean, I could go on and on, but. Yeah, and I think I think what you're what you're talking about is so important because I get a lot of questions from people who, you know, are very curious about investing, stock investing. You know, they may have money in their 401k or their IRA or Roth or something like that. But they're thinking about, you know, actual stock investing. But, you know, what I always try to tell people is you have to do some research. You have to have some sort of knowledge. I mean, um, that that's what it takes at least in my opinion, <laughs> yeah. and what I've seen to be successful in, uh, you know, kind of day-to-day stock investing. You know, 401k, IRA, that that can be more passive. Um, yeah. You know, if you need to set it and forget it, you know, whether that's right or wrong advice, you could do that. But when we're talking about actually investing in the stock market and what you guys have just talked about, I mean, there's so many economic things that go on that you have to be aware of. Yeah, but it's it's also more of the acceptance of, hey, there are global events happening every second of the day that I have no control over, and it is my job to react. Because if you are doing, there's it's active management versus passive management. I like what you said, set it and forget it. I've actually never heard that, but yeah, I mean that's basically for if you're if you're buying those index ETFs and you're putting them in your Roth IRA or in your 401k or whatever, then yeah, you're going to have that for the rest of your life and it's going to compound and it's just going to grow and grow and grow and it's going to ride the roller coaster, but you're not going to touch that. You're not supposed to touch that. But if you're, if you open up your own account, whether it's a, a Roth account or whatever, and you have a few thousand bucks in there and you start actively trading, then it really becomes quite the time commitment because you have to know you, you really have to be paying attention from when the market opens and until it closes. Or, I mean, look, if you can get in a position, make some money, get out and be done for the rest of the day, then congrats to you. I mean, I wish, right. I wish it was that easy. Yeah, right? <laughs> Definitely. Yep. Yeah, so I mean, we always, there, we always, there's no need to be greedy. There is never a need to be greedy. Make your money, get out, and just 
save it for the ne- save it for later. So like, yeah. save your ammunition. It's like going to Vegas, right? <laughs> when you're when you're, when you're exactly. up a certain amount, you just cash in and call it a day. There you go, yeah. exactly. Or at least cash in on the principal, so that way you don't go home. Right. <laughs> exactly, down. exactly. Uh, hung over and down. <laughs> <laughs> So we always talk about um, this. This could be like our, you know, our last question, kind of as we wrap up here. But we always talk about, you know, the worst things that happen when we invest in the stock market, and I think that's something that a lot of millennials are, you know, that's obviously a very sensitive subject. And I, I hear from a lot of millennials that they're just super conservative, um, you know, because they just they don't like losing money. But maybe if you guys could talk about like maybe a win that you've had, maybe something awesome that has happened. Um, so we could hear more of those types of stories. Oh yeah, Gil's Gil's story is awesome. So okay, he can, he can go first. <laughs> so I, I actually have a pretty funny story, and it goes back to what Daniel was saying. Uh, I actually did hold a triple leveraged ETF for over a year, <laughs> and uh, I've been riding this baby like a roller coaster for a long time. So uh, and and it turns out that it's actually long term is the best trade that I've ever made to date. Um, so the name of the ETF is Nugget. Uh, it's an exchange traded fund, like Daniel was saying. So it's it it is comprised of a basket of gold stocks. Um, I purchased the stock initially when it was nearing its 52 week low, which is its one year low price. Uh, I bought the stock at approximately ten dollars per share, and um, of course, right after I bought it, it exploded. It went from ten dollars to twelve dollars in the first week of my purchase, which is a twenty percent return. Uh, which is actually pretty high. Uh, after one month, the stock had jumped up to 14, which was a 40% ROI. And I had a lot of older people, more veteran investors tell me, okay, take some profits, get out, get out. And I was not doing it. I was going to hang on to it. So I, ha- I, I, I hung on to it. Um, and then all of a sudden it dropped down to $8. And the fund managers decided to do a reverse split. So they did a 1 to 10 reverse split. So now the stock that was $8 is now worth $80. And then that $80 dropped all the way down to $20. So now my $10 stock was worth $2. And I was like, oh, my God, what, I'm gonna, what am I going to do? So then it went up a little bit to $25. And you said, I said, you know what? It can't get any worse. So I added a bunch of shares at $25. And since then, the stock has just skyrocketed, and I sold um, a portion of my shares when it hit 100 because that was my original 10 bucks a share. But since I added so many shares at 25, it was actually a 400% return on those shares. And then I held my original shares that I had bought at 10, and I held that all the way to the stock hit 140, which was my price point, and I actually had what's called a limit on the stock at 140 to kind of take my emotions out of the game because, sadly, I was a bit of an emotional trader, and if there's another piece of advice, do not let your emotions cloud your judgment when you're investing, and that's something that I've learned and that I now practice. So I had a limit set at 140. It hit 140. I sold the rest of my shares for a 40% return, and so I ended up making a ton of money off of Nugget. Sadly, since then, the stock has jumped even a bit more. Uh, just last week, it was at 160. So, you know, of course, I was kind of biting my tongue a little bit like, oh, I should have held it longer. But like Daniel said, 
And like Shauna said, every once in a while, you have to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. And I was comfortable at taking 40%. I got it at long-term capital gains rate because I held it for way, way over a year. And, uh, and I got out making a lot of money. So that's kind of my glory story. Woo, that is a good one. Nice. Awesome. Daniel, what about you? Any, any, uh, yeah, can you, no, can you follow actually, that? <laughs> no, well, uh, I can't follow that roller coaster, but, um, I mean, I have a few, I'm looking at my screen right now. And so I'm looking at some of the things that I've made some good money on. And let's see, when did I enter this? It doesn't show me the date when I entered, but so I'm sure everybody who's following the organic food fad craze or lifestyle, I don't know which word to choose. Um, People shop at Whole Foods, people shop at Sprouts. And I was having the discussion with my friend who's like really adamant about this. And I said, okay, like where, where, which company has better growth potential, which company can expand better. And he told me that he likes to shop at both places, both at Whole Foods, both at Sprouts. Um, and so then I started doing research on the companies and I thought, okay, like Sprouts looks pretty solid. And so I got into Sprouts and I ended up making a 40% gain on it. Um, and I thought, all right, and like this is, this is yeah. 40% net. This is yeah. 40% net profit. So that is, that's a very, very good trade. I also made looking at 27% on Facebook, 20% on Google, um, I mean, how many times am yeah, I? I don't know. You've got a, you've got a magic touch there. Well, I mean, I mean, I, I'm not going to go into some of the losses over here. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I said. We won't talk about the losses. No, no, but no. <laughs> okay, but sir, the the greatest for all your listeners and for all the people who are getting started, and I I can't stress this enough. Um, and thankfully, these are these a few of these losses. I'm not going to say the percentages. But um, these are from a while ago when I was first really getting started. You have to be incredibly careful when you are looking at these leveraged funds. You can't treat them like they are insurance policies. Um, Because if you treat them like an insurance policy, then it's going to, again, it's going to decay and it's going to destroy all the value that you have. And unless you get really lucky with interest rates and Janet Yellen, (laughs) (laughs) gilded, um, then you could be in a heap of trouble. I mean, it's just, it can get really bad because if you're, if you're, if you're relying on a bearish leveraged fund that where if, if an entire sector goes down, which makes this fund go up, well, guess what? If that sector is trading at neutral, if it's, if it's trading well, if things are going well for it, if they're, if they're beating earnings and things are going really well, then your fund is going to lose a lot of value. But while you're waiting for this event while you're waiting for these catalysts, it's going to keep losing. So um, m- the majority of my significant losses come from that, um, from leveraged funds. And, I mean, those were thankfully from my earlier days. And now the only one I touch is the volatility one because I feel like I've kind of gotten a grasp on it. Um, but other than that, I'm a huge proponent of being diversified, but also know what you own. You want to know. You want to understand the companies that you have in your portfolio because you want to be able to – you just you want to know what's going on, frankly. I mean, Definitely. that's yeah, that's I mean, that's awesome. So we we've come to the end of our time, but I know that there is going to be a ton of listeners who will probably want a follow up session on this. So we will probably definitely have to do a part two if you guys are up for it. Sure. Um, but uh, just to recap, Daniel. So if any of the listeners want to join the Facebook group, what do they need to do? 
So you just, well, first of all, you need to have a Facebook and based on their numbers, you're, you probably do. <laughs> um, so you need to go on Facebook, you need to search millennial wall street and it will come up and millennial is spelled M I L L E N N I A L. And then wall street, it's all three separate words. So just look up millennial wall street and it should cut, it should come up. It's a, it's a closed group in the sense that you can find it and you can see the members. You can't see the posts unless you join. Once you hit join group and I see it pop up, um, I'll hit accept. I mean, because I try to, I try to keep the, I, I try to keep uh, advertisers and random spam people out. I try as much sure. as possible. But yeah, anybody can go and find it. Millennial Wall Street. Go on there, find it, and welcome to the party. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for your time. You guys have shared some awesome tips and awesome information. And I, I just think the listeners in here like love this podcast. So thank you both so much. Of course. Thank of course, you, Shauna. Thank you.